and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm the host of and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. Uh, before we get going, we always get new listeners, so I always like to tell people a little bit about us and, and why we exist. And bottom line, my mom had uh, dementia for 30 years, so it was life-changing for me, and I just wanted to make a difference and try to bring some new platforms uh, to the surface. We believe at Alzheimer Speaks that... Um, that basically this is really the only way we're going to be able to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort is is really working on advocacy-based um, things that, that connect people and raise voice. And so we're all about providing multiple platforms to help shift that, uh, that care culture from crisis to comfort. We also believe that um, by sharing knowledge um, and just having these everyday conversations like we do here on uh, Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, that we're going to help remove some of the stigmas and the fear um, attached to memory loss and help those living with the disease and those that care for them continue to engage and live more purposely. Um, at our core, we believe that um, collaboration is really the only way we're going to win this battle. None of us can do this alone. There's too many unknowns. And I, I just want to thank our audience for um, all of your likes and clicks and shares because you have had a huge impact in raising our profile here at Alzheimer's Speaks. You see, we were lucky enough to be named the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz. And we did not do that alone. Every time you take those couple of seconds to share information regarding dementia care, you are pushing it out to your sphere of influence. And many times there are people there that you have no idea are dealing with this or are going to be dealing with this. And the more information that they see, the more comfortable they're going to feel in reaching out and grabbing it when the time is right for them. I also want to um, just let our listeners know that, you know, we would love to hear from you as well. So if you have a story to share or maybe you've written a book or a song or a movie, um, maybe you are diagnosed with the disease. Uh, maybe you just uh, lost somebody through this process and are trying to figure out who you are as a care partner and um, kind of re-enter the world. Uh, you could be a researcher. It doesn't make any difference. We listen to everyone's voice because we all have impact on one another. And that is all part of what we believe is is what we call consciously caring um, learning to understand our impact that we have on each other. So reach out to me through alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big contact me button. And um, just let me know that you'd be interested in being on the show and what your topic would be. And, and we'll have a conversation and go from there. Um, but before I um, introduce our guest today, I do want to just give a Shout out to FreshBooks. This is just a, um, a simple invoicing solution. 
uh, for businesses. And you can actually get a free 30-day trial by going to freshbooks.com forward slash alive. Again, that's gofreshbooks.com forward slash alive. You can also get a free 30-day trial um, of an uh, audio book um, by going to audible.com. Um, and uh, when you go to that site, you'll be able to see a list of of the thousands of books that they have to choose from. And to get your free trial, go to audibletrial.com forward slash social and um, see what you think. Because some days you just are multitasking and you don't have time to sit down and, and read a book. Um, you might be driving in the car or whatever. Let's... Um, let me introduce our guest today. I'm really excited to have um, her with us. Um, we have today Patty Moton with us, and she has been on the staff of the Alzheimer's Orange County uh, since um, 2005. And her background includes 30 years in healthcare, in education, business development roles with the divisions of Johnson & Johnson and American Red Cross Blood Services, and also in hospice care. Uh, right now, she is the Vice President of Outreach and Advocacy, and she oversees special education projects for clinical and senior care professionals, manages their public policy forming activities and legislation um, act, um, advocacy, and she's responsible for a real robust community education program called Advanced Care Planning Partners, which is aimed at changing the culture of end-of-life care, which we were just talking on our, on our last show um, with Mary, Marianne Sterling about. Um, so this is just a perfect roll-in. Um, Patty holds her certificates in uh, palliative chaplaincy and gerontology, and she is pursuing her master's in human services as well. She's a grandmother of four, and she lives in California with her husband, Roger, and their companion therapy dog, Kiko. So welcome, Patty. How are you today? I'm great. It's wonderful to be on the show. Thank you, Lori. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you, you know, about what Orange, the Alzheimer's Orange County is doing um, I know that you've broken away from national. Um, so let's just talk about, you know, how is Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias? Let's start out with, you know, how does that impact Orange County, California? Well, um, Alzheimer's and related dementia is, is really a, um, an epidemic um, across the country with over five and a half million people suffering from dementia. But in Orange County, we have a population of about three and a half million people. And we know that at least 84,000 people either have Alzheimer's disease or are at great risk. So it's a major health issue here. And Orange County is one of the fastest aging counties or geographies in the United States partly because of our weather, partly because a lot of veterans settled here after both World War II and the Korean War. But we have a, a really uh, quickly aging population. So we're a little more in tune to the fact that we need to look at what the needs of older adults are and what the illnesses of older adults are going to be as we all age in place here. And Alzheimer's and dementia are... Um, one of the top three um, causes of death here in Orange County. So um, it's really high on our radar screen. Wow. 
Well, you know, when I think of California, and I always just think of young and active, and and um, it's a place I've always wanted to move to. Actually, um, I ab- I absolutely adore it out there, and I can see where people go there and don't ever leave. You know, and right, people love to stay here. Yep. So that that's uh, top three, though. That's that's a huge, huge uh, statistic. Um, what are some of the hallmark services and programs that the Alzheimer's Orange County provides, um, you know, to well, I- impact people in a positive way? Sure. We're really proud of the fact that we have nearly 50 in-person support groups of all kinds. So we have them in, of course, English. We have them in Vietnamese, Spanish, uh, Korean, Farsi, Chinese. So we address the diversity of our population really well. They're offered at many different times of the day and days of the week. And we have a number of these groups which are faith-based in houses of worship so that people get not only the um, support that we know um, is, uh, is scientifically validated for caregivers, but also that is spiritually validating as well. So we try to approach whatever the caregiver's need is going to be and then find a way to offer a support group to speak to that need, be they adults. Um, children of someone with Alzheimer's, um, men who are dealing with either a spouse or partner or parent with the disease. Um, We try and look at all the different types of folks that are impacted and then offer a caregiver support group to match that need. Wow. Uh, One question question I have for you, Patty, on your support groups, because I'm a big uh, fan of the memory cafes. Do you do any of the memory cafes there as well? Well, we don't call them memory cafes, but we do a lot of things. We have we have something that's akin to an Alzheimer's bistro, and we call it the Our Gang Clubhouse. Okay. And it's it's kind of a half day event for people with the disease and their care partners to come. They have coffee and bagels or beignets in the morning. Then they have some education. Then they split into two separate support groups one for the person with the disease, one for the caregiver. Um, And then they all come back and they have some social time and have lunch. So it's really fun. We usually have about 70 people attend the Ardane Clubhouse, and they have a blast. Um, And so we, we like to be able to support people in that way with some socialization, prevent the isolation that sometimes comes with caregiving, and have things that are intellectually stimulating and fun for people so that the persons with the disease get that kind of stimulation that helps keep them a little brighter. Oh, and engaged. No, yeah, it, so so that's what we call um, our version of a memory cafe. Okay. Well, and I think that that includes a lot more than what, what memory cafes do. How often do those meet then? That is every other week. It is? And, wow. And that's for a full half day. And then we have other groups. called One is called Connect to Culture, where people with the disease and their care partners um, meet with a social worker, an education professional, and they maybe go to an art museum or they do a project that is um, linked to some cultural activity. Or they go, sometimes they take the train down to Old Town San Diego for an event. Um, so there's all kinds of ways that people then can connect into culturally significant activities, have a great time, and prevent the social isolation that um, typically goes along with this process. Oh, I love those. I, those are great, great formats. Um, I know 
Um, the, the half-day program sounds really interesting, and I haven't seen anything um, like that here where I am in, in Minnesota. There's some things that are a little close, but um, but not so, not so much. I, I like that you're getting both together. They can go off their separate ways. There's some education and, and then uh, wrap up again together. Um, yeah. socially. And uh, I think those bonds are so important for people. So kudos to you. Are there uh, some other programs that you're doing besides the in-person? There are. Um, we, we offer um, a helpline with trained local social workers who really know the area and the geography and can really help families who are struggling with issues like placement. Do they need to have care in the home? Do they need a referral to a physician who can give them a a really uh, comprehensive diagnosis? Um, Do they need to be referred to a counselor? So um, that helpline is, is really a lifeline to many of the families that are coping with this. So we offer that, um, and that is also in both English, um, Spanish, and Vietnamese, um, and we have robust outreach into the Spanish-speaking and Vietnamese community so that we really know who's providing care and support and can then connect families to those resources as well. Um, some of the other wonderful programs we offer um, we have an interfaith services program where once a month there is a specially designed religious service in a different house of worship somewhere different throughout Orange County um, that is specially adapted for people with Alzheimer's or related dementia so that people can go and um, have their spiritual needs nurtured, have the experience of going to church, and not have to worry about any behavioral issues or attention span issues. Um, It's kept very uh, lighthearted, short, familiar, and then typically the hosting house of worship provides a little luncheon for the guests, and so it turns into a really wonderful social activity as well. So that's another program that's pretty unique to Alzheimer's Orange County. Oh, that's fantastic. And I, I love that your helpline is local. I know here, yeah. in, even in Minnesota, we have a, a helpline, but it's, uh, you know, it's so general and it's hard, it's just hard for people to communicate what their needs right. are because they don't really even know what they need sometimes. And I know that they've tried to change um tried to change in terms of training for those serving on that kind of a, what we call senior linkage line. Um, but it's still, when I talk to consumers, they just say it still isn't working for them. You know, it's just. Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right, Lori. We have found that local um, information really is important. And people need to know in, in our county, for example, if you live in, um, say, San Clemente, which is the far south end of Orange County, the resources that you would connect to are going to be very, very different than if you live all the way up, say, in North Anaheim. Um, the companies that offer care are going to be different. The nursing home availability is going to be different. And any assisted living that you might be interested in is going to be different. So people need to understand that even though it might only seem like it's 25 or 30 miles away, it's like being in a different country. Mm-hmm. So um, we have to really look at the differences in our county. We're very diverse. Um, it's not all Disneyland and Newport Beach. And um, so we have to really take that into consideration. 
um, and they know the, the people that they're um, talking about um, referring resources to the families that we serve. And they get to know the social workers on the helpline because sometimes families need more than just information and referral and some occasional telephone support. Sometimes they need a higher level of care, and we call that care consultation. So they get to meet with a licensed clinical social worker, and it's a free service that we offer where they can really work on some family dynamics. They can look at sketching out a family care plan. Um, they can sometimes facilitate a family meeting if there's some dynamics or family members that don't quite agree on the next course of action for the loved one with dementia. So we have these clinical professionals available to help families on a more ongoing and a little bit greater depth basis. Well, that, I mean, it, it, I'm really impressed, Patty. You guys seem to really know the people's needs. And to me, that is so refreshing because I think... Uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking with organizations, um, they're kind of up in the sky and they're <clears throat> and they're not really hitting the ground running with what I'm hearing people say that they need. And you have touched on so many different aspects. I, I'm just really impressed um, with you. with the work that you guys are doing. So kudos, kudos to you. Thank you. We, we really pride ourselves on listening to what people want and need. And in fact, after we announced that we were becoming an independent local organization in December, we hosted a series of town hall meetings for our constituents and families. And we invited the t them to come in and tell us what were the services and programs that were most important? Where did they want us to expand our services? And what were the needs that weren't being met? Mm -hmm. And that led us to do um, a fair amount of due diligence and examine our programs and services. And in fact, it was the impetus for us getting into a new direction where we have recently acquired an adult day healthcare center and um, as of June 1st, it will be operating under our auspices and we'll be able to expand and grow that level of service in Orange County as well. Oh, that's wonderful. That is absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm just a grassroots girl at heart and I'm all about trying to, to meet the real needs and, um, and, and listen from that level because I just think there's so much to learn and I think we make uh, progress much faster and we empower people and they become advocates for life instead of just the term that they're dealing with the illness and, and I think there's great, great benefit to that. Well, we agree, and um, and we have um, a visionary CEO who just really thought we needed to just get down and see what is it that people like, what is it that people need, and what are the first things we need to be doing, and that's what we did. Great. Can you do you want to share with us? I'm sure that you've had some like great moments over your years of service with those with dementia. Do you want to just uh, mention a couple to people? Oh, I get to brag a little. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are very, very proud of our clinical outreach team. We started an effort um, about three or four years ago 
Um, and interestingly enough, we had volunteer retired pharmaceutical representatives who agreed to help us get our messaging out to the physicians in the community. And from there, it has morphed into a part of our staffing. We have um, two full-time staffers who do nothing else but call on the clinical community. So they're calling on doctors in their offices, they're calling on skilled nursing facilities, and they're calling on hospitals. And we have more than 20 hospitals in Orange County. Wow. So um, they're just making sure that people know about the resources of Alzheimer's Orange County, that it's a free service, and that we have a system by which clinical professionals can, in a HIPAA-compliant manner, refer their patients and families to us, and we can then initiate the interaction and the contact to get people help sooner than if we waited for them to call us themselves. So that's been a really wonderful addition to our work over the last few years. And, um, and we're out and about every single day doing our best to let um, clinical professionals know that we're available. Um, some of our other really wonderful um, and exciting um, um, opportunities to have made a difference include our work in advanced care planning. And we actually were published at two medical conferences this spring at the um, California Association of Long-Term Care Medicine and then at the Coalition for Compassionate Care Summit um, which are the people that brought the Pulse document to, to um, Orange County. And we've been able to measure that we can have an impact on people's attitudes and behaviors as they look at their end-of-life care wishes. And they make those kinds of plans, hopefully early in the process of a, a dementing illness, so that the person with the disease gets to make choices and begin that conversation well before the need arises. Um, so we've done a pretty comprehensive uh, education campaign in the community, and then we've been able to measure the changes in people's attitudes. So we know we're having some um, real solid benefit on the outcomes, and I'm very, very proud of that. Oh, that's fantastic. That's um, always been something I've been passionate about, too, is is uh, getting people to get their ducks in a row. And I, and I think it's something that, again, uh, we need to educate kids. I, I've had a few friends where their kids have gotten into accidents or had had some real health issues. They're paying the insurance. They're doing everything, but they can't talk to anybody because no right, one will talk right. to them. And, and it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, just heartbreaking. So it's really about living life well and and planning for the unknown versus planning for death. But I think a lot of times when people go into the clinic, they you know their verbiage isn't the best in terms of how they're stating to get these documents in order. And um, you know when people are in denial, the last thing they want to do is um, right. is plan for that. Right. So. So part of our educational initiative has been to help the clinical professionals really look at how they talk about um, end-of-life care wishes and how they can encourage people to begin the conversation 
well before people are going to need it so that it's not scary, so that it's part of a normalized conversation, and people think about the fact that everybody should be having these kinds of conversations about what their wishes might be if they couldn't speak for themselves, and to talk about it with their loved ones so that nobody is blindsided and nobody has to make difficult decisions without all the information. Yeah, exactly. Very, very important work. And, you know, that uh, the whole end of life piece is, is coming into the public eye so much more, too. Yes. Um, just when I look at Alzheimer's and dementia, how far we've come just in the past five years, it's huge. Um, we got yeah. a lo- long, long, long ways to go. But, I mean, we've made really big strides in the past five years. Um, Yes, I I would absolutely agree with that. In fact, one um, uh, clinical researcher said, really, everything we know about Alzheimer's disease, we've learned in about the past 15 years. Mm -hmm. And so the last five years have particularly been rich with new discoveries about the disease, what works, what doesn't work. And um, and what kinds of things we need to be doing to keep our brain as healthy as possible. And then hopefully many of these um, projects that are currently in process will lead to some kind of disease-modifying treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, incur- we just really have to encourage people to get involved with some of these trials. And, um and these these key groups um, of support yes. that you have uh, it just makes life so much easier when people well, are it, connected. It does. And um, and Orange County is very very fortunate. We have some really wonderful uh, clinical research opportunities right here in our backyard, practically. Um, There are about 10 different groups in Orange County that are participating in clinical trials. Some of them are privately funded um, through grants through National Institutes of Health and some of the pharmaceutical companies, and some are part of the UC Irvine um, Medical Center and the Mind Institute. So we have these wonderful opportunities for people to participate in truly cutting-edge research and perhaps be part of making a difference in the long-term treatment and cure of this disease. And um, so it's really a wonderful opportunity for people to be right where things are happening. Yep. Wonderful. Now, your agency, um, you know, like we said, recently separated from the National um, Alzheimer's Association group um, to become uh, what you now call Alzheimer's Orange County. In, in doing that, what has what has changed? Well, what what chiefly has changed is our reporting structure. So instead of reporting into a national group that then would um, Uh, set out our strategic plan initiatives and decide for us what our county needs. We are deciding that based on what the people in our county say they need. So it's local control and local planning of our initiatives and programs and services. Um, The other thing that's important is because we offer uh, our services for free, um, we have to raise money. So all the money raised here in Orange County for Orange County activities stays right here, and we don't have to um, send a percentage to any national group to support other areas around the country. We simply keep it all here in Orange County to improve care, support, and efforts toward a cure here. 
Um, we will participate with the clinical research and raise money for um, clinical research opportunities that are here local, and we are rich with, with those opportunities. And what I think is most important is we can look a few years down the road to what Orange County needs in particular, especially with our aging population here, and participate with other not-for-profits that serve older adults. And we're working on a very comprehensive strategic plan for aging to really better the lives and the quality of life of older adults who live here and, and look at how are we going to provide for issues like transportation? How are we going to provide for issues like the cost of housing and the cost of medication? What kinds of local government um, activity is going to be necessary to ensure that people here have the best quality of life as they age right here in our county? And that is a unique partnership of these not-for-profits in Orange County that may not have been able to flourish had we stayed with a nationally controlled organization. Well, and I think I know when I talk to people, you know, all around our country, they're they're shocked at, uh, you know, how much of the funding would go to national and not not stay local. Uh, I, I think a lot of people just assumed, you know, it was it was here, you know, and being, sure, being sure. utilized. And, and you know, the national organization is great. They are taking a little bit different pathway than what our local um, organization thought was needed here. Um, and, and we support what their efforts are across the country, um, especially as they move to more online platforms and, um, and, and so forth. And they're supporting areas in the country that don't uh, raise enough money in their local areas to take care of, of their population. So, um, 40% of everything we raised previously had to go to the national organization. Mm -hmm. And um, locally, we just determined that we just weren't um, getting enough back that was going to benefit our residents and our community. So that was a, a big factor in our decision to become independent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and um, again, not to say that they're not doing good work, because they are, but I think I think there are um, many different groups kind of analyzing that, and and um, and it's happening not just with the Alzheimer's Association, but with a lot of different organizations. How do you keep the name um, and the branding going, and still deliver the services? And um, analyzing things, you know, you get the, the hierarchy, and you know, the cost of buildings and staffing, and um, you know, we've seen a lot of significant changes in a lot of different groups, you know, and so they've, sure. they've had to cut staff and then you cut staff and then you have to cut programming and, and yet you still see those needs climbing out there. Right. And, and our goal here in Orange County is to have programs and services grow to serve more families at a deeper level and to be able to provide the kinds of direct service that people tell us they want. Mm hmm well, wonderful. I know that that's never an easy decision to, to make. I, I don't care if you're an employee of a company and you're deciding is this a good fit or not, or if you're an organization yourself and trying to decide management-wise, is this uh, still meeting the needs? Um, this is a lot of sleepless nights, um, and it takes a lot of courage. Uh, a lot to, of discernment. <laughs> mm -hmm, um, to really 
you know, make a decision like that. So kudos to you. You guys are doing some fabulous work, and I'm I'm very excited about the diversity of the programs that you have and the level of connectiveness. It doesn't, um, I mean, it's really you're on the ground running and engaging versus um, sometimes I just hear people talking about what they're doing, but I'm not seeing it you can't touch you can't feel it and and i and i get that sense from from all that you've shared with us um how connected yeah. orange county really is really exciting i mean just last year more than 27,000 people attended one of our educational offerings wow. so we're offering all kinds of different classes for professionals for family caregivers for people with the disease and um to have 27,000 people come through a class is pretty gratifying. You know you're touching some people then. Yep. Now, are those online or is that in person? Yep, those are in-person classes. Wow. That's yeah. that's amazing. Um, and yeah. that, that says a lot, no, not only about you, but just about your culture there in Orange County, that people recognize the need for this. And I think that's something that so many are struggling with, is that the community hasn't recognized the need for the um, for the engagement, um, you know, it's still kind of that one of those hidden diseases in the closet until it it breaks their heart and touches well, their home. Usually, that's exactly right. People's hearts get broken because there's some crisis with their loved one that comes up and really just hits people smack between the eyes. Mm -hmm. So what we're trying to do is really raise awareness about the best measures are early detection early and accurate diagnosis, and let's start the interventions that we know are going to make a difference in enhancing people's quality of life. Let's not deny the problem. Let's address it head on and put all the things in place that we know are going to enhance someone's life. Yep, agree. I, I just, I'm such a firm believer in that, and um, through my work just with the the memory cafes, I mean, people being connected in those 50 groups that you have, I mean, that's just amazing for one county to have that many support groups. Um, well, thank you. That That is uh, really amazing. And um, you guys really need to pat yourself on the back with the initiatives that you're doing and the... Um, the open ear um, in which you're you're processing um, things and providing services. I think that's fantastic. I'll, I'll definitely be watching you guys closely and um, in, in learning from you. Um, now, what's coming up in the next few months? Uh, my guess is you probably have some things on the schedule that are going to benefit families as well. We sure do. Um, we have certainly the walks for Alzheimer's in Orange County are coming up this fall. We have three of them, and they're sprinkled throughout the county. One in Laguna Niguel on October 22nd, which is South Orange County, kind of um, coastal South Orange County. Then on the 5th of November, up in the northern coastal area in Huntington Beach, we have a wonderful walk that's right on the beach by the pier in, in Huntington, which is sometimes referred to as Surf City. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on November the 12th, at the Angel Stadium in Anaheim, we have our largest walk, and we usually have about 10,000 people attend the Angel Stadium walk, um, and that's really wonderful. It's so 
um, uplifting and inspiring as we walk all over the ball field and, and come around the stadium. And, um, and it's just really wonderful to be um, in that environment with so many people supporting one another and, um, and really working together for support, for uh, a cure, and, um, and to help enhance the care of families that are coping with and struggling with all of the types of dementia that impact families. Oh, that's fantastic. So those are the walks. Um, then we have our, our partnership research conference coming up, which we do in tandem with the UCI Mind Institute, the Institute for Memory Impairments and Neurological Disorders. And this is a wonderfully high-level research meeting. This year, we're looking at the advances in dementia research across unique populations. So different kinds of dementia. Um, what about people who have Alzheimer's disease or a dementia that's the result of head trauma or Down syndrome? So we'll have experts from across the country talking about targeted therapies, recent discoveries, um, the, the state-of-the-art notions about enhancing care for these different populations, and then, of course, people who are suffering from Alzheimer's as, as age-related disease, um, these, these clinical experts will be talking about um, those kinds of issues as well. Um, so we usually have about five to 600 people attend this conference, and um, it really is the premier dementia research event in Southern California for the whole year. Oh, and that fun. comes up on um, the end of September, um, and it's held um, in right here in Irvine. So it's very easy for people to get to. It's kind of smack dab in the middle of Orange County, and um, it's held at the Irvine Marriott Hotel on September the 30th. Wonderful. And and with that, now, are you going to be talking about end-of-life care with that as well? As well, as well it's interesting you would, you would ask that because um, I actually have – um, a special event coming up on August the 4th. Um, it's a leadership forum uh, for the clinical community aimed at changing the culture of end-of-life care in Orange County. And we'll be bringing in internationally renowned end-of-life expert, Dr. Ira Bayok, who literally wrote the book on hospice and end-of-life and palliative care. I love him. And He's great. we will have um, a number of experts from across the state of California coming to talk about what their um, medical group and health plans are doing to really look at changing the clinical culture of how we deal with end of life, how we incorporate palliative care, and what can we do to anticipate what people's and families' needs are going to be to not just get through end of life care for dementia and many other disease processes, but how can we make it um, really a beautiful part of life because as a culture across the United States, we've kind of lost that. Mm -hmm. And so we need to get back to some of our roots where um, the fact that people were not going to live forever was really an understood part of life, and we made it as, as wonderful and as loving and as beautiful and as free from suffering as possible. Oh, wow. You know, one person you might want to be in contact with, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Vicki Kind of Kind Ethics. 
Oh, um, but sure. she is fabulous, and she has a, a DVD, and um, she has this new workbook on healthcare directives, and she specializes in both uh, working with professionals in bioethics as well as families. She's she's just fa- and she's out in California. Um, Wonderful. I'm familiar with her work, so so that's a great suggestion. Thank you. Yeah, she's she's just fabulous, and and Ira, he will just be wonderful. I've never met him in person, but I just his videos um, are just amazing. Uh, I, I still one sticks out in my head when he talks about you know how we treat a a, a young baby, um, and then how we look at at elder care, and um, right. just he's he, he's. He simplifies things um, to he just sure really does. touch the heart. Really essential, um, essential aspects of what we should all be doing every day with the people that we love. But then it crystallizes for those who are um, experiencing the end of their life and maybe have limited days with us. And so we really should be telling them that we love them. We should be telling them we forgive them. We should be saying thank you. And we should be preparing for the time when we have to say our final goodbyes. Yeah. It's such a, um, it's such a taboo topic. I mean, I, I've dealt with it with uh, both my folks and, and with my brothers and, and even some of their friends, you know, couldn't even uh-huh. go visit in a nursing home. They just couldn't go there. You know, they didn't like it. And it's like, this isn't about you, you know, this right. <laughs> this, right. this really is about, uh, you know, about their journey. And um, one of the, the most recent experiences that I had that I would love to see um, – initiated more often and and this we kind of fell into but when my mom was actively dying um she she would always come to me in dreams because she couldn't communicate anymore but she would come to me in dreams and she told me you're not going to be here when I go and she says I need to know you're going to continue this work and so lo and behold I had two keynotes in Arizona and um, so I, we had her on hospice and set everything up. And um, my daughter was kind of in charge, even though I had two brothers um, that were, you know, much older. <laughs> um, okay. They they just weren't good at dealing with that kind of thing. And I, as I left, um, you know, we had everything in order as much as possible. And uh, I'll never forget sitting in baggage. And my daughter called and she says, I think this is it. Do you want to? you want to say goodbye to grandma again? And I said, yeah, sure. And um, she says, how about if we FaceTime? And I had prepared myself for phone conversations. I just never really thought about the whole video aspect. And there I was in baggage claims saying goodbye to my mom one more time. And it was incredible. She, and she ended up hanging in there. And I got back to the hotel and we did like a six, eight hour vigil where I got to see my mom and my family on video. I could guide them without interfering and letting them do the hands-on things. Because if I would have been there, my mom was right. I would have just taken over and I would have done stuff. And my mom was always a big component of people need to feel comfortable with death. You know, we're not getting out of here alive. This is part of a normal thing of life. And it was just one of the most beautiful experiences. I mean, even doing the last rites five minutes, or it was probably 10 minutes before I had to go on stage out in the parking lot <laughs> with my mom. Oh, isn't that beautiful, though, that that you were able to um, to organize that for her? And if more families had that kind of experience, their hearts would be just so much more settled 
um, as they go through their grieving process. It doesn't mean you won't grieve. It doesn't mean you won't be sad. It just means that some of the emotional devastation is, is somehow cradled in this emotional bath of doing things really well for the person who's dying. Well, and even with that, you know, my whole family thought I was crazy for not being there because that's not who they knew me to be. And they're like, you have to be here. This is just who you are, you know? And I said, no, mom has told me, and I'm going to respect her wishes. I don't understand it. I, I fought it for a little while, but these are her wishes. So, um, and, and there were like little angels planted on my whole trip. I mean, the man I sat next to on the plane, to a woman who had called me four months before um, the event of, of my mom dying and me going for these keynotes to say, I, you know, I, I followed you. I would love to take you out to dinner. Um, she saw my mom take her last breath with oh me at my. the dinner table. And, and we're, we have a bond now that's not broken, you know, I mean, it just, it can't be. And she, um, and it was kind of beautiful too, because she was a different culture. She was Indian. And she said, this is an honor for me. She said, I will go home tonight and cleanse my body and light a candle. And I will say a prayer for your mom for 30 days every single night. And so she went home that night. She took a picture of her, of her mantle and um, I, I mean, it was just, it was incredible, just incredible, you know, and to learn oh, how beautiful different. beautiful story. It just gives me goosebumps to hear how, you know, what a beautiful story. Yeah. And so, you know, if we allow things to unfold and be respectful of others' needs, there's so much for us to learn, you know. And so I would love to see more people work with video not just at end of life, but I mean, we have a lot of long distance caregivers. We have a lot of, of, of care partners that are down the street, but their schedules are just busy and they've got little kids they're watching or they're going to school or whatever it is. And they just don't have time, but they could interact by video. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. and most of us have that technology available to us. And it is, uh, you know, it would alleviate, I think, a lot of stress. I think it would alleviate a lot of family dynamics um, I mean, and, and make uh, the medical staff a little bit more comfortable in terms of connectiveness because there's some judgments there when people aren't around. Um, I, I just, uh, in the training and speaking I do when I talk to people, I just think it, there would be so many levels that that could really help. And so um, I just shared that story with you because <laughs> we were talking it's about beautiful. It's a beautiful story, and and we should all be able to tell beautiful stories of the way we say goodbye to our loved ones. Mm-hmm. And what that takes is some planning and some anticipation of needs and um, to have been able to have some um, deep, heartfelt conversations ahead of time. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, our emotions aren't going to go away. So, you know, we can stuff them and we can think that they're gone, but they're going to show up later if we don't address them in a in a more negative fashion called guilt, Right, right. <laughs> you know, and and really knock us for a loop. You know, right. so um, if we can in, if we can learn to embrace a life, all it's been, all it is and the connectiveness even after death that we can still have, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that. One of the concepts that I, I talk about is that we are caregivers from the moment we're conceived. And people think that I'm crazy when I say that, but 
you know, then I go on to ask people, well, how many, you know, bellies have you patted? How many tummies have you talked to? You know, and we we engage with a womb. Right. And that continues right. throughout life. You know, it, it's life-changing to us. And and those those connections don't go away. So we just have to get way more connected to who we are and the impact we have on one another, um, you know, in this world. We've gotten so far away from that. And it shows in how we're treating one another in all aspects of our world right now, which is yeah. too bad. Too bad. Yeah. I would I would definitely agree with that and that and that if we take the time to be connected with people on these levels then um you know the connection doesn't break death doesn't end a relationship no it ends a life yep. but the relationship continues even when someone is gone we still have our memories we still have the way they have impacted us and whatever they have left behind us their legacy legacy stays with us so um, I think if we reframe it um, for ourselves and for the people that we provide care for and serve, then we're going to make that whole transition um, a much more positive experience and not so devastating. Yeah, yeah. But we are we are such a, a, a community based, uh, you know, or based on fear. You know, that's how we've motivated people to you know, kind of stay out of trouble. We use this whole fear-based thing, which again, isn't working very well either. And we have to learn to embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly and um, and change, I think, from the heart. Because um, if we just do kind of a rote change, um, but we don't truly believe in it, it, it shows. You know, people right. know if you're being authentic or not. And Well, I, I agree. I think that there's, um, there's a lot of opportunity to... Um, to provide growth and, and for people to just look at things in a new light. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that, again, I, I really like what the Alzheimer's Orange County is doing is um, uh, it aligns with what I do, which I call emotional-based training. Um, you really seem to be getting at the heart of the matter and engaging people at a deeper level than just providing services. You're really listening. You're letting them be active participants in what direction you're going and you're empowering them um, to live yeah. better. And I think yeah. that that's just huge, just huge. So kudos, kudos to you guys. Is there anything else that you want to touch base on, Patty, that we haven't so far? Oh, gosh, I just wish people would would um, go to our website. It's easy. It's alzoc.org. Um, they can give us a call if they need some help and, and need to be connected to us, and that's really easy, too. Um, the helpline number is 844-HELP-ALZ. So it's 844-H-E-L-P-A-L-Z. And um, then they can get connected to um, social workers on the helpline. And if anybody would like to contact me, I'd be so happy to hear from folks who want more information about what we do. Um, my email is available. Um, I'm sure you're going to post it as part of the uh, podcast, but it's my name. It's Patty, P-A-T-T-Y dot M-O-U-T-O-N at A-L-Z-O-C dot org. And I'd love to hear from people and not only trade ideas, but see if we can help them, especially if they're here in the Orange County area. Wonderful. Well, thank you for taking so much time with us today, Patty. I know that you are 
a, a busy, busy lady. And like I said, I just love the work that, that you are doing. So again, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me, Lori. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Great. For those of you listening to us here at Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are part of the Alive and Social Network. Um, you might want to listen to Apples to Apples on Monday at 2.30, where Scott and Drew Applebaum, who are a father and son team, discuss sports. Uh, you'll be able to find out if Dad comes on top and really knows uh, uh, if, if he really knows uh, what's best uh, when it comes to conversations. And then also you can listen to Joan of Art. Uh, she does a podcast here that investigates and celebrates people who make art. Um, our last radio show was really a, quite interesting. We had Haley Richmond on, who is a nine-year-old who cares for her grandma, and she has started a blog to encourage other kids to get involved. She's just a little powerhouse, and it was just really a fun show. Uh, you might want to listen to that. We also had um, on last week Patty Kerr, who is the author who wrote I Love You, Who Are Who Are You?, um, which was a great conversation as well with her own experience with her family. On Dementia Chats, the webinars that um, educate and engage, uh, we discuss dementia and anger with our experts who are all diagnosed. Very, very interesting conversation. And our next Dementia Chats, which again, they're all free and open to public and professional alike, will be on June 14th. And you can find out more information just by going to alzheimerspeaks.com. Our last Conscious Caring resource where we do video interviews uh, was with Paul Ann Gordon, who is living with vascular dementia. And we discussed her booklet on vascular dementia, which is um, being used by many um, to understand the disease uh, a little bit better. Our next Conscious Caring Resource interview will be with Elon Caspi, who is a woodworker. Uh, or I shouldn't say he's a woodworker. He's actually a dementia behavioral specialist, but he also does woodworking on the side. And he did a great project of the brain, which is now uh, displayed at the Cushing Center. So I'm just in the process of editing that, and we'll get that up and running this uh, this coming week. If anybody out there listening is interested in hosting um, a preview of the Hollywood film His Neighbor Phil, please reach out and contact me. I'm a platinum sponsor, and I'd love to discuss that with you. It is by far the most powerful film I have seen um, to really relate what a family and a community goes through when dealing with dementia. On our blog, um, two great articles. One is by Michael Ellenbogen, who wrote Include Us. Michael is living with the disease, as well as Brian LeBlanc, um, who wrote the article, I Hate You, which is quite powerful. It talks about his despise for the disease and how it's affected his life. Last, I just want to mention the Caregiver Alert Center, which is a real economical way to be prepared in case somebody you loved may wander away. Um, they have... Um, it's under $15 a year, but you can get your information submitted to them. And so if someone would wander, they will work with the police and get it disseminated within 10 minutes, your poster to help find your loved one. Uh, last, I just want to uh, encourage those of you who have not yet um, sign up to be a member on Alzheimer's Speaks. There you can get uh, access to our free tools 
Uh, one which is used um, around the world is called Your Memory Chip, and it teaches us from being task-oriented to really being truly person-centered and focusing on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.